Hello, everybody. Welcome to this panel. It's called New Album Release, What Would You Do? Participatory Session. What that really means is we're going to be talking about ways to, essentially, we're going to crowdsource you guys and come up with cool ways to pretty much release albums from Michael Franti and from Natalie Dawn here of Pomplamoose. It's a participatory session, so you're precipitation is obviously highly encouraged so if you're sitting in the back I encourage you to come up to the front at least kind of get involved in what we're talking about here it should be a lot of fun and we're kind of just gonna dive into it so the purpose of this session like I said is to crowdsource some good ideas for Michael Franti and Natalie Don's album but it's also meant to be interactive and very educational for anyone who's thinking about releasing an album the core focus of this discussion will be primarily on the marketing of these releases and um, we're kind of gonna gauge who we have in the audience first before we dive into it. So, who among you here are musicians, content creators? Cool. How many people here are marketers, managers, technologists? <laughs> Anything I left out? Any others? Photographers. <laughs> what were some of the other ones? Sound guy. We love you, sound guy. <laughs> cool. So now that we have an idea of who you guys are, let's go ahead and begin introducing ourselves. My name is Hisham Dahoud. I'm with a digital marketing agency named Fame House. We handle digital strategy, marketing, and management for artists and labels, including Shady Records, Eminem's label, as well as DJ Shadow, Pretty Lights, Richie Houghton, Amanda Palmer, and a number of others. Joining me here is Natalie Dawn, one half of the duo Pomplamoose with Jack Conti, who released her first solo album, How I Knew Her, a week ago today on the 12th. And next to her is Catherine Enney, CEO and founder of Gorilla Management, who, among other talented musicians, represents the enormously talented Michael Franti, who will release his album All People tentatively in May. That's me not doing them justice on their intro, so I'm going to have them briefly introduce themselves a bit more in detail, starting with you, Natalie. I think you did a great job introducing us, actually. So I'm Natalie Dawn, like he said, half of Pomplamoose. In the past, we have been known for our videos and for making a living as artists without the help of any sort of label or, or uh, anything like that. And recently, I sort of flipped everything on its head by signing to Nunsuch for my album, How I Knew Her, which came out a week ago. So I'm excited to talk about why I did that. And yeah, your turn. I'm Catherine Enney. I've been in the business for about 20 years now. I have four artists on my roster. One is Michael Frantine Spearhead. We're introducing a new Australian band called Ginger and the Ghost. Amanda Shaw from New Orleans and Mr. Loveless from Oakland. I'm excited about this panel because being in the business for a long time, I've seen the old model and the ways of marketing all the way up to you know this whole digital era and the social ways of marketing. And I'm very curious to hear from you guys what's next because we always have to like kind of brainstorm and think about you know how to have our artists connect with their fans. So we're excited. So before we actually talk about the nuts and bolts of the album release, I need to ask both of you why you feel albums are still relevant in this age. I mean, there's plenty of arguments for and against why one would wait to release a whole body of work in today's attention economy. As some would say that it's echoes of an, of an archaic business model, but why do you guys continue to release albums at this point? Natalie, we'll start with you. 
for selfish reasons. There's really, I don't think, any practical reason why you should release an entire album these days. I don't think it's, it's really the best thing for you to do from a marketing standpoint, but from an artistic standpoint, I found it tremendously beneficial to do an actual album. It was the first time I actually sat down and intentionally wrote over the course of two years a series of songs that I felt would work on an album. It was the first time that I went into a studio, got a bunch of session guys up from LA and went in for 10 days and created this piece that was supposed to be released as an album. And uh, it was an incredibly difficult process, an incredibly rewarding process. And I'm really glad I did it. That said, I completely understand why people are not releasing albums as frequently these days. So from a creative perspective, you still think there's some value of taking the time and creating a body of work that's artistically expressive and not really approaching it from like a marketing perspective that way. You approach yeah. it from an artistic way. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, especially if you have fans out there like mine who are willing to invest in the project of an album. And if you have fans who actually want to sit down and listen to an entire 12 or 14 songs that you've created, then you should do that. I think also with an album, if you just release singles, it's like, it's very staccato. You don't connect with the artist. It's just single, 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 single. But when you listen to an artist's album, it's just really getting to know them. You know, I mean, hits are great. They're awesome, you know, for business. But you want to also express, you know, the other sides of you, you know? Yeah, and I'm I'm not an artist who who probably will ever be heard on top 40s radio i'm uh, you know i'm not going to write a hit song and have it you know make me a whole bunch of money and be known for that one song i mean i doubt that's ever going to happen never um, say never i mean you don't know what a hit is what makes a hit you know? right right but i would i would m- more than that i would just say that it it hasn't ever been hasn't ever been my goal and that I'm uh, I I feel I feel better about creating a body of work than about trying to write one really catchy great song and a lot of people would argue content is king as a lot of people say just kind of feed feed people content are you that kind of artist like can you just like write a song and then be like I'm comfortable with this or are you more well yeah because the funny thing is with Pomplamoose we're really used to just putting out songs as we as we make them I mean that's that's how we've done it in the past it's how we've made a living as we we will go into the studio for a couple days create this song edit a video put it out and it's it's great that that has worked for us in the past and then when we have 10 songs we put it on an album and release it but they've already been for sale as singles the whole time so Mm -hmm. so it's really just for the super fans who just want to buy the album so you know i i can see doing it that way as well the thing about pomplamoose though is we do Pomplamoose for fun. We like to just sort of go in, see what we can make, do it fast, put it out fast. And it's a really rewarding process if you like, you know, creating things quickly and right. releasing them quickly. That's great if you can do that, do that. 
I just didn't want to do that. Like I said, it was it was totally selfish. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about marketing or, you know, maybe I should release every song as a single and then after that put them out all on an album. I don't, I honestly don't know. Maybe that's a better way to do it. Oh, but interesting contrast. You yeah. Know, you came from one or the other. Now, Captain, from the business end of things, why do you kind of feel an album's still worth it nowadays? A business side of things? I mean... I hate to label you with that. I mean, I know you're a creative as well, but... Well, again, I think just putting out an album, to me, it's a, cre- it's a creative choice. I mean, you know, if you want to talk business, it, it is all about the singles. And I just had this conversation, kind of a bit of a label epiphany. I was speaking to one of our record label people, and what I do with my artists is we, we, we do license deals. So after a certain sales, after a certain point of time, it, all the ownership goes back to the artist. I totally believe in that and have been doing that like way back in the you know, Queens of Stone Age days. Always licenses. And then, so this one artist, the license was up. And, but they always, the old, the old school model is the label always has the opportunity to put out or the option to put out a best of. That's like, why put out a best of anymore? Because you've got iTunes essentials, you've got the singles, anyone can create their own best of now. So for me, that was really interesting. It's like, oh yeah, we don't even have to talk about the best of album. We're not going to deliver that. Why? So that was kind of cool. So I guess it just comes down to the artist. It depends. And again, before we kind of dive into the marketing of the album, I want to kind of change the perspective of people. Like I want want each of these panelists to kind of introduce the art essentially I want people to kind of change the framework of we're not marketers pushing out content or data I want us to actually get an idea of the art itself so we can connect with it and therefore we can try to evangelize what it's trying to do with an audience so we're going to take about five minutes from each of you to please introduce the actual album what it is talk about the creation of it what it means to you and your teams and we're going to listen to one track from each of those albums so Catherine we start with you please So the creation of an album or a project, I'm very lucky because I work with great artists, but also I feel like I'm a creative manager where I really love being in the studio and I love being, you know, really involved with all the creative aspects as well as the the marketing and, and, you know, the selling and the business part of the um, project. I always call like making of album is like the birthing of an album and it, it's hard. It's like birth, you know, childbirth. And I think the process of just being able to like write the song because sometimes us managers and desk jockeys, we don't get, you know, why don't you just write the song? You got to deliver at this time. Just right. do it. Come on. And that is always a struggle for us to have the artists meet the deadline. But basically you go in write the song, collaborate, record, mix, produce, done. It sounds simple, but you know, it's a very emotional process. So what can you tell us about the song that we're about to hear from his album called All People? So Michael Franti, he's got a single he's gonna drop in a couple months and a new album out in May. So this is actually a collaboration with another songwriter, an Australian guy based in LA. With Michael's new album, he you know writes with his band members, but he also did something different this time around, where he collaborated with a lot of different writers, you know, from the world really, and he found that to be very interesting, new, different, and hard process. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to relinquish control, you have right. to vibe with the folks, but I think we could play "Life Sounds Like." I thought we were going to play Natalie's song first, but Armando, I want to play the track a little bit. 
this is what it sounds like the finished mix <laughs> any of the last words on that track specifically you want to mention about that track uh no i hope you that's, all that's like it when it's done that, <laughs> that's gonna be the single that's gonna be one of the singles one yeah of the singles. okay mm -hmm. cool all right thank you uh natalie let's talk about your album which dropped last week as we mentioned talk a bit you know about the creation process for you the actual album itself means to you and, and your team and its overall significance and we're gonna hear a track as well so tell us about your album all right so I had this series of songs that I wanted to put on an album. It was about 18 demos that I had written on guitar, a little tiny 1910 parlor guitar made by Sears and Robic. Also make really bad dishwashers in case you didn't know that. We know we have one. So I wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to release or make the album at first. I had this sound. I, I knew what I wanted it to sound like, but I didn't know exactly who I wanted to work with. I ended up taking them to Jack Conti, who is the other half of Pomplamoose, and, and he kind of immediately understood my vision for the album because he'd been working with me for so long. It seemed like a really natural thing to have him produce the records so that's what ended up happening he took them we worked together on how we wanted the songs to build what sort of instrumentation we were interested in he did all of the orchestration i contacted all of the the band members i basically designed my dream team for this album brought them all up to sonoma to record at, at a little converted hen house where tom waits did a lot of his stuff it's a place called prairie sun and uh 
so that's how we started off. I brought up these people, including Matt Chamberlain, who's this really, really phenomenal drummer. A good friend of mine, Ryan Lerman, played electric guitar, banjo, slide, a bunch of stuff like that. I was playing on my acoustic guitar and singing, and we had upright bass as well. So I really wanted it to sound, unlike Pomplamoose, where everything is overdubbed and and recorded one instrument after the next, I really wanted it to sound like a bunch of people creating something in a room. So we recorded everything to tape, usually one take at a time. So it was really important to have have great musicians, and it was really fun process, something I'd, I'd never done before. Oh, and I was able to do it because of a Kickstarter campaign that I did, where I, I originally started with a goal of 20000 and by the end of the 50 days, I raised over 100000 to make this album. Um, so I was actually able to afford these great musicians <laughs> to come up for 10 days. And uh, this is the title track of the album, How I Knew Her. Let's hear it. I wish you had written me a letter. I wish you had told me before. Before your mind was too old. better like my daughter knows me now I would have liked some answers I would have liked some answers but now no Say what it meant to see your daddy die Under that tractor on that black hill How you painted your pretty face And did your hair each day Before you fetched my father's pills Cool. So for the next 10 or 15 or so minutes, we're going to talk about the three three particular topics when it comes to marketing these albums uh, from them as they pertain to traditional marketing, social media marketing, can't forget that one, obviously, and some more innovative outside-the-box strategies. But after we do that, we're going to open up to you guys, and we want as many suggestions, uh, critiques, anything at all after, after hearing and hopefully connecting with the art. Now the mindset has kind of shifted as, we, as to how we can actually connect with fans. So let's kind of begin with the, um, the role of traditional marketing. So back to Catherine. Mm. With Michael Franti's new album, what would you do with uh, traditional marketing and kind of how would you approach it? And it, it, you feel free to be a little broad if, if you want. We're going to actually kind of dive in a little deeper from okay. the audience. 
Well, traditional marketing hasn't changed much over the years. You do your, you know, your print advertising. You know, you do your, um, now you do your digital advertising, mm -hmm. uh, your radio, your local TV, um, and then you go for, you know, the editorial. You hire a publicist and you do that. You know, um, you go to, um, you know, radio hit is icing on the cake. That's right. what we all want, because that does sell. Um, radio still is king, you know? Mm. Um, but just not to interrupt you, but you, this would be dependent on the artist, obviously, right? I mean, like, are you saying, would you argue that these traditional marketing means are pretty much, you know, ubiquitous? This is for, this is something that most artists should do or not? Uh, most artists that should do or that do? Well, like, like, should traditional marketing still be on that radar for most artists today? Um, I think so. I think so because um, you know advertising is expensive. That that comes right. from the label's pocket. Mm -hmm. um, but I always ask, and I always, you know, in my head, try to figure out like what, how do I hear about music? I mean, how do I get turned on? Really, it's word of mouth. But for me, also, it's um, like posters, and sniping. That's traditional marketing as mm -hmm. well billboards, it's imprinting, you know, even if I don't, have never heard an artist's music and I keep seeing a really cool image of that artist on, you know, bus tails or a billboard or poster snipes, I'm going to be like, oh, okay, they must be hot, I'm going to check it out, right. you know, so, um, so I, th I still think it's important, I think advertising, you know, in, in magazines, I don't know how effective that is. But um, for me as a fan, I think like, um, Editorial is important in mm -hmm. magazines because that's how I, you know, get turned on to music and. Mm -hmm. um, and, and TV, film. TV and film placement—it's um, more important now than ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I have to say, it's like, you know, the major labels and a lot of people saying that the uh, business is dying. The old model is dying. Now is the most vibrant time in the business. It's just amazing because you diversify and you grow and you evolve, you know, and you find other ways of getting your music out there. You connect directly to your fans. So it is an amazing time in the business, you know. And Natalie, how about you? How important is traditional marketing? What would you do with it? And kind of what's your approach with it? Um, so far, uh, until this album, there had been no traditional marketing as far as Pomplamoose was concerned. And we were <clears throat> actually the, the only band that I knew of at the time that was making a living purely off of MP3 downloads um, and licensing opportunities that came directly to us. We didn't have a publicist, we didn't have a manager, um, we had a lawyer and uh, an email account and uh, a bunch of people on YouTube who thought we made cool stuff. And so that's how we did it. It was all thanks to our fans um, and, uh, you know, I honestly, when we started off, YouTube was this new sort of thing. And now YouTube is totally saturated. So it's quite difficult for you to get noticed on YouTube. It's quite difficult for, for you to release a video and for, for you to actually get hundreds of thousands or millions of views. Um, it didn't used to be the case. We, we caught the wave of something great and we uh, were fortunate enough to just keep going with that for a while and and it was even enough to help propel our solo careers which is 
um, what we've been focusing on recently. Um, but uh, as much, so so that was then, and now, like I said, it's really difficult to um, catch waves. I mean, I know they're happening. I know new technology is coming out all the time, but but how do you know like which thing you should be spending your time on? And, and, and you have to choose, and you have to invest in specific things, and you can't do everything at the same time. And so um, <clears throat> we've been fortunate since since the beginning. We've, we've grown a lot. We've taken on management. You know, we've taken on um, a uh, someone to help us with sync and licensing opportunities. Um, we've been hiring more and we've been growing. Um, but uh, and then, like I said in the beginning, I have also ended up signing to a labor a label, um, Nonsuch, which is a subsidiary of Warner. So it's not an independent label. It's not a small label. It is a label mm -hmm. that I think has a lot of really amazing artists on its roster and. Um, does not behave like a lot of major labels who tend to um, uh, sort of speculate with artists. They will invest a little bit in a lot of artists, and if one of them takes off, great. And then the rest of them, they just kind of drop. It's not. It's not like that. What What sort of things have they done really quickly uh, with traditional marketing? Your label. They. Um, they flew me to London to do a bunch of press and interviews and radio stuff over there okay. um, because they had a feeling that the album would appeal a lot uh, in Europe, which was true. They were right about that. It's been doing uh, better, I think, overseas than it has over here since, well, it's only been a week. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the reviews have been really great over there. Um, and they've also, you know, they hired <clears throat> a really great publicist for me uh, who has been, uh, they're Saxon Co. And they've been getting me interviews daily. Um, and from that, you know, print and uh, blogs and all sorts of things have come out of that. And, and it, it is really interesting how I feel like a label is still the only entity entity who, who can make everything happen at once. They have so many um, areas that they're on top of at the same time that when you put out your album, you have press, the local press, local TV, um, and, and, and international press all appearing at the same time. And it's that sort of, um, that just tidal wave of, of, of media, I think, that catches people's attention and that it, it's incredibly difficult to do as an independent artist. Yes, you can appeal to your specific fan base and through word of mouth reach a lot of people that way, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's really, it's been an interesting thing for me to watch how the label does it traditionally. And sure. yeah. And really quickly, while we're still on the role of tradition, uh, traditional marketing, how important do you guys think is the time of the year when it comes to releasing an album? I know some argue like after New Year's uh, is prime. Uh, others say spring is prime because summer tours will follow. What are you guys' thoughts really quickly before we jump into the social media about the time of the year to release an album, Catherine? Yeah, we talked about that earlier. It's funny because I do think it's, it's up to the artists and the label or your partners are going to have their own, you know, uh, suggestions but Michael Franti they think of him as a summertime artist so they always want to release a record you know May June just because he's positive sunny festivals that's sort of a vibe you know and we, we tour a lot that's our tour season you know um, a lot of people think you know 
Well, traditionally, superstars only you know only release in November, December because of the the how crowded the market is mm-hmm. and all the holiday albums, and then you know January, February for you know emerging artists because there's a lull there. But um, I don't think I don't know. That's a funny question because just uh, I don't know. Yeah, it definitely does matter. I mean, as soon as I was I was planning on releasing my album uh, in in the winter, and as soon as I ended up signing with the label, they were like, "Yeah, we kind of need to not do that because um, that's kind of when like Beyonce and like Justin Timberlake and people who make lots of money are like putting out stuff, and it's right before the Grammys, and everyone's like." Well, not right before the Grammys, but, you know, it's when they're really pushing their Grammy-nominated artists. And and, um, so the labels really heavily invest in the big stars towards the end of the year. So if you do end up signing to a label, they probably won't want you to release in December. So there is some truth to that. I mean, actually, Kevin, would you say there's some truth to, like, if you were to label Michael Francis a summertime artist, but is there some truth to that, though? Oh yeah, yeah, absolute truth. Yeah. yeah, and 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 the more artists, you know, even like uh, January, February is getting busier because we've got South by Southwest, which you know right. we, we consider industry one of the biggest, most important trade shows. And now that everybody like Jay Z and Kanye, everybody's jumping on South by Southwest. It's not just independent artists because they want to be hip and cool, and in the scene is kind of causing a little crowded release time. Mm-hmm. Now, moving away from traditional, let's talk about digital and specifically social media. How would you guys, or how have you, actually, Natalie, start with you, since this is actually a real-world example. You released your album a week ago. How have you approached social media with your album and, and your fan base so far? Um, well, uh, when I did the Kickstarter, I set aside about uh, 25000 of the budget in the end. I think it ended up being to have a film crew come out and light the studio and film everything so that it, I could take all of the terabytes and terabytes of footage after that and edit together a video for... Um, every song on the album so I've been doing a lot of editing um fortunately only 12 songs on the album not 18 uh and uh yeah so I'm still focusing on putting stuff out to people on YouTube because that's still where the majority of my like very responsive and attentive fans come from um also you know facebook twitter instagram lots of pictures lots of just i feel like oh and blogging i feel like it's just it's endless if there's ever a part of my day where i'm not doing something or talking to someone or telling someone about something going on i'm like i'm this is i'm not doing enough um so so your approach is like pretty much being everywhere essentially yeah it's funny i i think people think a lot of the time that if you sign to a label that your workload gets smaller and so it doesn't i mean it can if you want it to but but they're not they're not going to take care of you on a weekly or daily basis they're not going to push your stuff and make sure that your fans know about everything that's going on they don't mm-hmm. they don't do that it's still your job to be on the front line mm-hmm. and then back to the idea of things depending on the artist Catherine I mean how do you guys approach social media I mean are, are fans receptive to a Michael Franti Twitter account for instance I mean like how do you guys approach it um, well Michael is is very into technology and a super social guy personally I mean 
he's the last one to leave the party. He's that social. So when something new comes up, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or whatever, he's on it, on it, on it. And he loves it because it totally connects him with his fans, mm -hmm. you know, and I think they feel it. I mean, we talked about, you know, you can't just communicate to your fans and try to sell a product, you know, a new CD, merch on sale, all that gets old really quickly. So if you overdo that, it's not going to work. You want to personalize and connect with your um, fans like you would with your friends. Mm -hmm. so. And like the music connects with the people sort of thing. Exactly. It's not just like promoting stuff and selling it at them. Um, in the interest of time, we're going to jump to the final one, which is where I'd really like to have you guys involved. What would you do or some of the things that you've done in terms of like innovative outside the box sort of things with your prospective artists? Uh, Catherine, what are some in interesting outside the box things Michael Franchi's done for his album releases specifically? Um, well, we really like uh, enjoy the visual aspect of like making little mini films and PSAs and really having fun. You know, Michael for a while did like, you know, come cook with me online. So he'll, you know, he'll just like videotape himself cooking his favorite meal or whatever, Michael Franti's red beans and rice or whatever. Or we'll make like, you know, fun little uh, PSAs for, you know, a cause that we're working towards or um, a tour coming up. So the interesting thing, and I can't wait to hear from some of you guys, is like, I think what's exciting is this whole like a six second Vine thing with Twitter. It's like, for me, I love visual clips. I love Tumblr. I love anything that's just a visual. So that's going to be fun, I think, to be able to say, you know, hey, I'm here. What's going on? Or create a little tiny six, six second video and be able to see it on the phone. Mm -hmm. How awesome is that, you know? So... Have you, Natalie? Oh, um, yeah. I've got a tour coming up, actually, uh, starting in March at South by Southwest and then going for, for a month after that. So I'm in major promo mode and forward-thinking mode, um, trying to <clears throat> trying to make this uh, not, not just a great tour, a really great thing for, for my fans to experience, but also to reach out and get as many people uh, aware about it and um, on board as possible so that's something I've been thinking about a lot um, <clears throat> just to, before I get into that though one thing that uh, we've done we've been doing recently Pomplamoose and myself is um, a lot of stuff with Stage It which you guys all probably know about by now yes no Stage It is this really cool um, online platform for artists where people uh, pay to get tickets um, and uh, you tell your fans that you're going to play a short 30-minute set. They go on, they buy a ticket, it's pay what you want. I think the minimum is 10 cents. Um, and then after that, there's this wonderful little tip jar in the corner of the video that they can click and they um, <clears throat> you know they'll tip you uh, 10 notes they're paying in notes and notes 10 notes is uh, one dollar um, that makes sense yes uh, and uh, and so uh, so they'll they'll end up tipping you and like in just 30 minutes 40 minutes you can end up making you know anywhere from 500 to uh, 2500 3000 dollars and and you can um, you can do special things like for charity and uh, all, you know all sorts of, of 
performances, teaching people how to play things on the guitar. I mean, it's really just been a really fun way to interact with fans um, without having to leave our house because um, touring costs a lot of money. So it's really nice when you can just sort of stay at home and play for people. And, and that's been something that's really uh, been a great way for us to um, uh, sort of help us make a living. Uh, uh, and uh, also, um, I, I'm, I've been thinking about, so, so you work with Amanda Palmer, and I think Amanda Palmer is uh, a genius in the way that she asks people for help, in the way that she says that a happy artist is an artist who knows how to ask people for help. Um, and I think that the biggest thing that you can do when you're trying to think about how to promote something is think about all the, pe it's, it's so basic, but think about all the people you know, all the people who like your music, all the people who you could possibly reach out to and ask for favors. and. That seems like uh, you know a really needy thing to do, or like you're going to be annoying a lot of people, and it's possible you might be annoying a lot of people, but um, you could also get some amazing favors out of it. Like, just I called up Ben Folds because you know he's he's a friend of ours, and and I knew he was doing a tour on the West Coast, and so I just called him up and said, Hey, do you have an opener? Do you want me to open? Maybe I know I'm this little tiny thing, and I just put out my first album, but I'd love to open for you. And he was like, Yeah. Sure, come open for us. Well, so my first tour, I was opening for Ben Folds Five, and I'm all about asking for favors. That's I think it's like the it's it's a really important and, thing to know how to do. And it worked out for you with your yeah. Kickstarter album. So, yeah. I mean, I'm really happy you brought up the idea of stage. I mean, we're at the SF Music Tech Summit. There's all kinds of new technology out there that's supposed to be promoting and helping artists. I mean, as someone who's who lives and breathes digital marketing, you know, it's my job to stay up on it. But I love coming to these things because there's so much new stuff out there. So now we'd like to hear from you guys. Please feel free. We're going to open it up, talk about maybe some suggestions you have for if you want to talk about traditional marketing, that's fine. Ideally, we could hear some more of the innovative music techie sort of stuff out here. So all you technologists, marketers, what are some cool things that we could be using to promote these albums? Who wants to start off? And think of this, by the way, as like a sharing circle. Like this is for all our information. Obviously, we're using quick. this case study. I have a question. I'm a technologist, and I'm really interested in finding out why, Natalie, you didn't say that the reason why the label is so amazing. It's you mentioned it was the marketing and the big wave and all of that, not the production and the technology behind producing your music. Is that because you had it all yourself in your living room or in a studio, and you handled the whole production, but the label brought in the wave of the media? That's really interesting. Um. I, I'm, I'm a little confused, actually, by that question. Could you rephrase that? Do you produce your music yourself? That's okay. So, so Jack was the producer on the album, and we, we um, actually, it was self-funded, or rather crowd-funded, I should say. So I, I went to the label with a finished product, but it, it was not by any means a cheap endeavor. It, it cost quite a bit of money, and and well-spent money. I'm very, very happy with the result. But yeah, it, it definitely started okay. somewhere We're going to try to keep yeah. these as short as possible, because I know there's a lot of ideas out there. Uh, over here, please. Michael really well in his work, and I was wondering, in today's market, where you feel cause-based marketing falls into the marketplace in terms of artist affiliation, and what platforms cause orientation and cause marketing will do to careers today? 
Well, I think it's important, you know, I think there's a lot of great artists out there that want to give back. And I think just gifting and be able to like take every aspect of your business and your career, which Michael tries to do from like he's got, you know, a retreat in Bali where every single sale proceeds go to a local charity I mean you could do that with ticketing you know you add on or choose to have you know to like add 50 cents if you want to give to mm-hmm. the specific cause so I, th- I think if, if I'm answering your question correctly that there's great opportunities out there you know from ticketing album sales you have to work with your partners on that I don't know how that would work but yeah it's an, it's great some outside-the-box stuff, some music techie stuff. Come on, write the music tech summit, for God's sakes. Uh, yeah, I, I will request. So um, <laughs> I'm really interested in kind of like getting the fans involved in the creative process. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I made a like an interactive music video for the band Battle Hooch, where we kind of released all the clips and then like a editor kind of in the browser and people could go and like add their own like videos to the song as it's playing and then like share their own like remix of the video. Hmm. So I'm like wondering are you guys like open to releasing all your tracks, individual tracks so people can like remix the songs or is that like a big thing? I'm not I mean I've done it myself with no. DJ Shadow. We had a whole remix contest. We released it as a, an exclusive for like a mer- if you bought anything from the mer- from the online merch store, like for a whole month, you would get the free remix contest. And yeah, we, we partnered with SoundCloud to do promotional stuff like that. So I I would say it depends on the artist. But what do you, what do you guys think about that? Well, it's interesting because I've spoken to a few people that have companies now that are really like here, you know, today that are really trying to have that whole interactive type of platform or application where fans and people can remix or recut. I think that it's exciting. It's awesome. You know, you've got Indaba as well. We talked about them earlier where, um, you know, they have a huge community where the artists could reach out and just put stems out there and it's like, hey, instead of, you know, struggling to try to get a remix done by a producer, let's just throw it out there and see what comes back. It's exciting. It's cooperative creativity. It's awesome. Yeah, it also demystifies the whole recording process when you can actually put stuff out there and 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 have people hear each individual track it's like if any of you guys have ever heard any of the the Beatles the stems that came out for the for the Beatles it was just sort of like oh my gosh this is so that guitar sounds horrible by itself that's amazing that it all works so well yeah Sorry, I'm proximity. I'm Letitia Wolf. This kind of speaks to what you said and what you said about the cause funding and the fan participation in the creative process. There's a platform that I used. It's like Kickstarter to create my record called Pledge Music. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, I started my pledge campaign with no songs and I uploaded demos of the songs as I wrote them during the campaign and then let the fans decide which songs they liked the most to be on the record, but also let them critique lyrics, suggest bridges, like just really let them get their claws into the songs, Mm -hmm. which sucked kind of, but also... I'm like, why would you do that? (laughs) Because I've I've been in the industry like 17 years and I'm a masochist, I guess. I'm just like, this would be fun. I've never seen this done. But 
Point being, they were super receptive to it. So I think, and plus pledge music, you get to give to a charity too. So, but the fan interaction during the process was very rewarding to me in the long run. And I've made the coolest album I think I've ever made. Well, I'm almost done. But we do that, but then once you get it done, all you have is your pledgers. And like with you, you, um, you have your Kickstarter people. How do you, when you have that finished product, what was your process of taking it to the label and saying like, I've made this all by myself and here's how I did it. I'm so innovative and cool. What, so you didn't say that, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> no, I did actually, I said exactly okay, that. Yeah, so um, what, where's, where's that next step? I guess, well, for me, I was fortunate because the president of Nonesuch, Bob Hurwitz, was interested in my album from the moment he heard the demos. And so he was kind of following me and, and, and sort of courting me throughout the whole, the whole process. And, and uh, so by the time I was done with the album, he really wanted to get his hands on it. And I didn't even end up shopping my album to other labels. I was just such a fan of Nonesuch and, and uh, really felt like the album would find a good home there. So honestly, the answer is just talking to people who you know. That's what it comes down to. We had one in the back, I believe. Yes. Hi. So I, I work in digital strategy as well. One thing that I think is very cool that uh, we've started seeing a lot of artists do, including some of ours, is Reddit AMAs for a few reasons. One, it creates a direct line of conversation between the artist and their fans. The other fans can upvote, upvote the questions that they think are relevant so that mm-hmm. the artist is answering the ones that every you know everyone, including within their community, thinks is relevant. Mm-hmm. And another really important reason is that it creates a sense of urgency to act. And that mm-hmm. speaks to a more fundamental nature of marketing, which is creating motivation for people to do something, ease of ease of people being able to do something, and then a trigger to achieve a certain action. So if that's if you want more likes or if you want more Twitter followers, whatever that thing is, you need to create a higher level of motivation you, to make it really easy to do or easier to do, and then you need to create a trigger to do that. Mm. And the Reddit AMA is a good is a good tool for that because it creates a network effect. You know, if it's big, it gets upvoted on the front page of Twitter and then, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who wouldn't normally know who you are realize that this name is now important. So like Adams for Peace just did Reddit AMA yesterday. And, you know, a lot of people who love Radiohead or I guess who like Radiohead might not know about Adams for Peace, but now because they've been escalated up it creates this big network effect. And then from there, you can you know, investigate. And it also creates that sense of urgency. You have X amount of time to submit your question. Hopefully, it's valuable enough that both the artist and the community wants it answered. Interesting. Cool. I have not done that. That's a great suggestion. Any other suggestions? Even critiques, perhaps, of anything we've done? Oh, I said critiques, and two hands go up. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> How important is analytics in, in a constant feedback cycle for you in, in these promotions? Is it set in stone when you start to first promote your album, or do you kind of see what's happening and, and roll with it? The latter. You just, it's, it's really hard to know how much of what you're doing is getting across to people and 
how well you're targeting your audience. It's, I don't know, the, the uh, YouTube analytics are helpful to a point, but there's so much information, I think, that, that the artist could really use and they're not really getting yeah. from anywhere. I would, I would also say the latter. I mean, there is so much information that the artist could get, but sometimes it's overwhelming for, for the artist, which is why digital marketing teams like mine essentially utilize all the information. Any and all information we can get is good, and we and we definitely go. We kind of grow as we go. We have certain expectations that we'd probably expect to see, um, but through all the different channels that we get them, I mean, it, we have to we have to adjust. You know, so we thought, oh, like you know, for example, yours uh, being in, in London would be being a huge market. Like that was probably based on some research, and then they probably saw the results. Like, well, that's working, so go with that. Other times we'll set expectations. Like, well, that bombed, but this is working, so we'll have to adjust for that. And we use a number of like you know analytics tools like Music Metric. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Music Metric. It's it's an awesome one that we use. How about you, Catherine? What I agree what you guys just said. I mean, definitely, you can't like depend on analytics for everything. We have to roll with it, but it is good information. You know? A lot of it's but it's free. not the end all. A lot of it's free. Google Analytics, yeah. Facebook Insights, ridiculous how much information is out there. Yes, right here. You had your hand up first anyway. All right. Let me preface this by saying I'd like my mind to be changed. I have not been a fan of Kickstarter because I don't like the idea of having your fans pay money for, your, you, know, to, for you to record your album. Mm -hmm. So can you maybe tell me some tools you use to make it, give your fans an incentive to you know, pledge money towards you? Because I think from the record label contract, when you offer your, your, you know, your album that you just had all your fans paid for, aren't they generally going to give you that money back for the album that you just recorded? No. No? Mm -mm. So they don't, so your label doesn't own your file, your masters in, I guess. It depends what sort of a deal you get with the label. I think a lot of people when, obviously, when they saw me first do the Kickstarter thing and then end up signing with a label, they thought, wait a second, you just got $100,000, so you've already got $100,000, and now you probably got another $100,000 from the label, and so you're just like rolling in dough and like <laughs> taking advantage of all your fans' money, and that's just absolutely not true any amount of money that I got in, in terms of an advance from the label, which was, by the way, nowhere near $100,000, <laughs> only helped me get out of debt because of all of the extra money that I had invested in the album, the extra credit cards, the money I'd borrowed from my parents, all of that stuff. So uh, honestly, Kickstarter was completely invaluable to me. There is not a single record label out there that will give a debut artist $100,000 to make their their album the album of their dreams that doesn't exist um, and uh, and so yeah that's that's what I would say and and as far as things that my fans got uh, I mean <clears throat> yeah incentives uh, there were a lot of things. I tried to be creative with it. Uh, it could be anything from tickets to any of the shows uh, that I'll, I'll be, you know, I, I knew that I was going to be touring, so, you know, two free tickets to the show, well, free tickets, two tickets to a show and a backstage pass. Um, <clears throat> Paintings. I sold oil paintings, um, clothes that I've worn in videos. Uh, uh, <laughs> what was that? No, no. But it was it was it was crazy though. Uh, it was uh, they they were very responsive. And and the things that sold. I mean, the clothes sold like that. It was crazy. It was probably like one creepy old man out there with all oh, my clothes. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> 
you got to make a hundred thousand dollar album that a label didn't tell you what to make your album mm-hmm. your fans really wanted. Absolutely. I there was I, I had all of the creative power and I got to make all of the decisions on my own. Not to say that the label would have stopped me from making any of these decisions, but it was nice to know that they had absolutely no say in what I was going to say, what my lyrics would be about, who I was going to hire, where I was going to do it. I mean the all everything was chosen by me That's which was awesome some point uh we're in the final five minutes so let's try getting a few more we and try to be brief please so right, right. i've been running record labels for over 30 years and the economics have changed so dramatically so there is some there's no resources for label side to give those kind of advances to developing artists so what we've been doing is partnerships probably along the line what you cut with horowitz in, in that the creative process now belongs so much more to the artists with technology and with Kickstarter. So we actually, on the label side, encourage artists to have fan support or family support and come forward. And we've moved much more into a marketing partnership and somewhat, you know, because it's expensive to market records right. even though the returns are less. Right. Very natural yes. evolution. Thank you. Yeah, I, we put partnership decks together for our artists. You know, this is what we could offer you for this. And just grand ideas about how you could be our partner, you know. Shameless self-promotion. We have a digital marketing company. It's a streaming service built for artists. So it's basically a direct-to-fan platform disguised as a consumer streaming experience. You have to be approved to be an artist on the platform. Mm -hmm. Uh, We ran a campaign for Pretty Lights through Fame House, actually, and produced 600 fans for them, Mm -hmm. which isn't crazy, but we're still growing. So um, basically, you just upload your music, make a good-looking profile, and we stream it in a sort of a Pandora-style experience, except for that we have layered tools on top so you can someone can join your mailing list, become your fan on Facebook directly within our platform. Awesome. So like the through you know the Pretty Lights campaign generated over three hundred mailing list signups for them. They didn't have to do any work. They just put the album up yeah. and we generate fans. The name of that platform Joey is Earbits. Thank you. All right. Back there. Cool. Hi Hisham. Hi. Um, AED from San Francisco. I'm an artist, and I'm curious, especially Natalie, but also for Fronte, for an artist to find out who their fans are and how you decide who you're marketing to. Some of that you might have analytics from YouTube, but how do you decide You know, uh, different strategies that you're going to be using for your different fans? I assume you have tools and resources to find out who your fans are? Yeah, that, well, yeah, it all probably starts with analytics, but um, I'm not very careful with analytics, honestly. I just kind of make things and put them out there, and, and they may or may not attract uh, you know, the fan base that I thought it would attract, but so long as somebody's watching the videos and somebody's listening to the music, I'm happy. Um, as far as actually going out there and getting a particular fan base, um, I, recently something that I that I did that I f- sort of is a totally traditional way of doing it, um, but opening for a larger act on tour, who <clears throat> whose like uh, fan base will be open to your lyrics and your music that's something that obviously people have been doing it for years and years and years and i don't know why i'm just figuring this out now but it's actually very helpful Mm -hmm. to get out there and play music um because those are the people who go to shows and uh and if you're going to be making more of a living from touring as you generally do if you sign with a label then it's good to start to do that especially so that's something i've started doing 
there's a lot of, there's a lot of data in some of the software that you know we use at famehouse we use topspin naturally a lot and there's like you can see your top spenders and then we also have like apps we built the pretty lights app and we've gamified it so every every like interaction has a point scale and we can kind of target those people like who are the most involved and engaged and obviously correlate through the topspin data and so forth so my answer is a lot of data pretty much but i think we have time for one last one who's got one really good one anybody or maybe that's a sign that we should end it well, cool. Please join me in thanking our panelists. We'll be around. I'll be around hanging out. Happy hour. Definitely happy hour. So come say hi. Thanks, guys. <laughs>